Hey guys, welcome back to Free Indeed. So we're going to continue with the second part of this uh, episode, part two, of casting your care on the Lord, or you could say peace is the reward of surrender. In the previous episode, I, I shared with you about my pastor who uh, shared with the congregation that God gave him that, that revelation of when you're going through a situation, no matter how awful it is, if you decide to surrender it to God and let him handle it, he will give you peace. Because how many of us know as believers, when we're going through life and we're going through something that is just robbing you of peace, that is making you feel awful and you're just not, you're not feeling spiritual, you're not feeling powerful, you're not feeling anointed and, and you just need to give that thing over to God because it's, it's ruining you. And somehow it snuck in uh, and grabbed your attention and your energy and is draining you those vampire situations, you know what I mean? And, you know, if you want to think of it like that, even though it's kind of comical, you know, that's, that's how the devil works. He will use people and situations, circumstances, the past. He will use even other people that claim to be believers. I, I touched on that a little bit in the previous episode and I'm not trying to stir the pot, but there's a lot of people out there who claim to be Christian and they even go to church and you couldn't tell it. If you met him on the street, you'd have no idea. Now, I'm not saying that to condemn anybody. If I'm not saying you have to walk around with a little halo around yourself to, to let people know you're a Christian. No, but you know what I'm talking about. That person that you, you know and you know they like to talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the sincere believer who sometimes makes a mistake still or has a struggle or an addiction still that they're trying to be free of. They're, they're seeking God for freedom. I'm not talking about a saint who still struggles. There's a huge difference between a flake and a fake and a snake and a, a struggling saint. I'd rather be a struggling saint any day than a flake, a fake, or a snake. And again, this is not to condemn. I don't mean to get off on a rabbit trail, but it needs to be said. And yeah, we're not saved or unsaved because of our, our actions and stuff. But uh, if you have a heart for God, eventually it's going to start showing somewhere, somehow. Last time I shared uh, 1 Peter 5, 7 and Psalms 55, 12. If you want to have that as a reference to go back on those verses. But um, I, was, I was looking through Romans 8 a little bit last time I, I used uh, a portion of Romans 8. But I wanted to read through the whole chapter really quick. And just break it down a little bit for you. It's really encouraging. It's it's one of the most encouraging chapters in the New Testament, uh, in books of the New Testament that has been a foundation for me. Really, Romans. If you if you're out there and you're struggling, or if if you're wanting to understand what is the covenant of grace and the dynamics of your relationship with God. I would encourage you to look at Romans and how we're justified apart from the works of the law. You'll find out how we're not justified by keeping the law, but Christ is the end of the law for all who want righteousness and so on and so forth. So it's it's really awesome and it helps you understand that this new covenant, this new way of relating to God is not about your actions, your works, or anything like that. Let me start with verse 1. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but after the Spirit. 
and when it says that it's given a description of you're a Christian now, so you're walking in the spirit. It's not saying that you have to never sin again. And then there will be no condemnation because if that was the fact, if that was the case, then why would there be condemnation anyway? If you were doing everything right, <laughs> did you ever think about that? Verse two, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So we're under a new law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We're under the law of life in Christ Jesus. And that law makes us free from the old law, which is sin and death. If you sin, you get death. Now, not that I'm encouraging it, but even when you do sin, it's your flesh. And because you're not under law, there's not a transgression that has been made. Your transgressions have been forgiven. And so there's the penalty has already been laid on Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, obviously I'm not saying to go out and just do what you want because you still have a conscience that will beat you up at the end of the day. If you decide to live like a hooligan, you have your memory and I would advise that you do live as, as righteous as you can for the Lord, for an example to others and to keep yourself, like the word says, pure and unspotted from the world, undefiled. Verse three, for what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh, meaning the law was to to your flesh and by working through your flesh to try to fulfill the law, you couldn't do it. You're, you would never have been able to do it. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So right there, it's telling us that he took the condemnation that our flesh deserved in his flesh. And that's awesome. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not work, walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And I want to pause and say right there, to be spiritually minded, you would have to be spiritually minded to be able to cast your care on the Lord. Because the natural person, someone who doesn't know the Lord, they don't have anybody to cast their cares on, right? It, I mean, I'm not saying they couldn't share with a loved one, a family member or a friend and, you know, talk to them about their problems. But at the end of the day, they don't have a God to cast this situation on and, and that God give them peace and comfort and sustain them. They don't have that. So it's a spiritual thing to have peace and it's spiritual to cast your care on the Lord and let him sustain you so you can continue walking in peace in life. To be spiritually minded would be to say, you know what? The situation is stressful. Here you go, Lord. I cast it on you. I'm not going to worry about it. I wash my hands of it. Please take this situation and, and work it for for my greatest good and your greatest glory. And, and that's it. And then you can walk away knowing that God has it. Because the carnal mind, verse 7, is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. It's just basically saying, you know, if somebody doesn't know the Lord, 
they're going to be carnal. And if you're carnal, you're walking in the carnality of your own flesh. You're walking, you may not know it, but you're walking and working against God because you haven't brought yourself into subjection to God. You haven't submitted yourself to the Lord. Verse 8, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh. Verse 9, Romans here is talking to Christians. He's saying you are not in the flesh if you're a Christian. You have the flesh, but that's not what you're in. Your identity is not in your flesh. Your identity is not in the mistakes that you make. And I'll keep driving that home any chance I get. And let me just pause for a moment. If, if you are someone out there and uh, don't let this be an encouragement to, to do wrong. Paul says, let us not use our liberty for evil. You know, just because you, you'll still be saved at the end of the day and God still loves you. Even if you go out there and deliberately do something wrong, you are ruining your witness. You're hurting others and you're making a spectacle of yourself. And if nothing more, the, the devil and his demons are laughing at you because they can manipulate you. You've yielded your will over. And you, you think you can just get by with anything and you're not getting by with it. It's not that God's going to punish you again because your punishment fell on Jesus. But when you're using your freedom for an opportunity for the flesh, you're, you're only setting yourself up for hurt and others. So anyway, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, anyone... Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So, it's saying, you know, you're a believer, and this physical body has still been uh, dealt this withering blow, if you will, by sin, by just your old Adamic nature. And so that's why we still have death. That's why people still grow old and, are, you know, sickly, unfortunately, and, and pass on. But there's, your spirit is made righteous. Your, your spirit is made alive with righteousness. And so to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord, the Bible says. So your righteous spirit will go on to be with the Lord, even though this physical body that was subject to sin has to be uh, subject to that for a little while. Verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. We use this verse for healing, talking about healing, teaching about healing. And, and I believe that it, it pertains to that. And I think it, it also could be applied in the sense of this physical body doesn't house the old dead spirit anymore that you had before you knew God and were regenerated on the inside with the new spirit of Christ. He, he gives you life in your mortal body through the Holy Spirit, his spirit who dwells in you. So when you're a believer, you know, you, you're born again, you have Jesus, the, the spirit comes to dwell within you and you have the life of God in you. And I'm not talking about being baptized into the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues. That's a different matter from this. Uh, but you know, salvation, you're, you're regenerated and made new by the power of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, once you are born again, once you believe and accept Jesus, 
And so the life he gives you is his once you become born again. Verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That's awesome. It's awesome because you can call out to God as your Father. You can call out to Him and cast your your care on Him. You can, you can run to Him for peace in situations where you didn't have peace. It's saying that when you're born again, you're not... You're not in a state of bondage. You're not in the bondage that you were when you were lost and without the Lord, where you were subject to death and sin and the punishment for your sin. That's bondage. He's making a distinction here. He's saying that when you're born again, you're not in bondage anymore. You're not in spiritual bondage. You're not going to be a Christian and then one day in heaven have a VHS of your entire lifetime of sins. And then you're going to have to explain each frame to God and he's going to hit the pause button. And what about this? What about that? Why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? It's not going to be like that for the believer. That's bondage. Because he says you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Or in other words, if that was the case, if you were just in in a different form of bondage, you you would be in fear again. But when you got born again, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. God adopted you into his family. As a believer, you've been grafted in, you've been adopted. And the... Christian, the believer is a spiritual Jew, is spiritual Israel. The Bible talks about the covenant, the promise to Abraham was not just to his seed as one, but as to many. When the Bible says that he's the father of many nations, nations, nationalities. I could get on a a whole rant about that, but I'm not going to. Um, When I'll just say this as a Christian, Despite your nationality, you are a chosen person of God. The church, the ecclesia, the called out ones to be his church, his representation on earth. You are the chosen people of God. No one gets a free pass into heaven because of your physical heritage. That is a a fly in the face of God. That's an affront to the blood of Jesus. I covered that in previous episodes. You can go back and check out my first series of identity. Who are you? And I cover that. And, uh, you know, to say that would to, would be to say that somehow uh, you could attain salvation uh, by random because you just so happen to be born into a certain lineage or ethnicity. So therefore, you're automatically just going to go to heaven and you can do whatever you want. No, that's bogus. And that's not the gospel. The spirit himself, verse 16, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's awesome. That when you become born again, it's saying that the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit Himself, the Spirit of God, bears witness. Meaning, He says, Witness, I see He got saved right there. This is a saved person. This is one of ours. This is one of our children. This is one of our, our inheritance right here. This is one of the family. He's a witness to it, and He will witness on your account. He will be in agreement with your faith. He's going to say, Yes. You're saved. Yes, you believed and you've received. Yes, you are redeemed. 
He's going to, he's your friend. He's the spirit that leads you into all truth. Verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. You know what a joint heir is? It means you get equal share of the inheritance. That's awesome. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified also together. Meaning, you know, you think about how Jesus suffered in this world. He was God in the flesh, right? He suffered the rejection. You talk about rejection. Every person that he saw walking down the street that rejected him, denied him, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious crowd that hated him, wanted to kill him on multiple accounts. Can you imagine being the creator and stepping into the likeness of the creation that you just made and they all hate you, they deny you, they reject you? Can you imagine the pain and just the, you know, Jesus didn't just suffer on the cross. I think he suffered in a way we can't fathom right now just by taking on flesh and having to endure all of the things of life that life throws at you. And then us, you know, people for rejecting him, man, what love he has to, to do something like that for us. What kind of love does he have to come down and, and suffer through all that? And like the word says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And I think you could also say for the joy set before him, he just endured not just the cross, but having to live this natural life for, for a while. And, you know, Jesus said that take heart in the world, you will have trouble, but I have already overcome it. He, you know, Jesus had trouble. He said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And, and maybe that's the answer to our problems. Sometimes when we, we face those people who are supposed to be believers or, or maybe not, but that people that just don't like you for some reason, and there's really no good reason. And, they, they treat you less than. Sometimes it's just because you have the spirit of Christ and the Christ in you ruffles their feathers and the spirit behind them isn't, isn't the spirit of Christ and doesn't like the discomfort that it feels when you're around. And so that's why they treat you the way they treat you. I've been there and experienced that more times than I care to remember. Anyway, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. So Paul is looking forward too to the glory that's going to be revealed in us as children of God. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the rev revealing of the sons of God. And that, that's a really cool verse too. It's saying that the rest of creation is waiting for us as believers to get a revelation of who we are in God and start walking in the power and the anointing and the giftings that God has given you to just boldly do it and quit letting things slow you down and stop you and the insecurities stop you from just offering to pray for that person or saying, Hey, you know, can I pray for you? And you'll be surprised how often people say, sure, you know, and they let you pray for them. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. And there it's talking about when, when Christ returns and we receive the glorified body. He's saying that as good as it is being a believer here, we still look forward to the day when we get our glorified bodies, we're with Christ, and we don't have to go through this, this world anymore. Verse 24, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we don't see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that can't be uttered. Again, that's awesome. The, so Jesus and the Holy Spirit are interceding and praying for you with, with things that cannot even be uttered. You couldn't even begin to utter or speak the powerful things that the Spirit is praying on your behalf. I know it's not popular with, you know, this isn't talked about a whole lot in churches and stuff. It's like, what? God prays for me? Like, yeah, actually he does. <laughs> it's awesome to think about. Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I, I shared that verse in the previous episode on the first part. And that's one of my favorites because... No matter what you're facing, even if even if you already have done all this and you say, brother, I've cast my care on the Lord, my situation has not improved, and this and that, and I just don't know what to do. Hey, at the end of the day, just tell yourself, you know what? This is working together for my good. I may not know how right now, but somehow it's going to make me better. It's going to make me stronger. And it's not because, you know, like I said before, it's not that God can only work through negative circumstances. No. But whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, all things work together for the Christian for good. Somehow God is going to bring good out of this circumstance and situation. Even if it's just you learning how to trust him better and rely on him more and have more faith, then hey, that's a win anyways, right? Verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. It's just saying that when you get saved, you are like Jesus in the spirit. Because it says he made you conformed to the image of his son. That's why we're Christian Christ-like. To be Christ-like is to be a, a real man or a real woman to, to show the attributes of Christ. Verse 30, moreover, whom he predestined, he also called whom he called, he justified and who he justified, he also glorified. That's awesome. And that's talking about our, our born-again status with God. We're called. You know, the Spirit calls people to salvation. And when you, be, when you get saved, you're justified. Just as if you'd never sinned. And when you're justified... Your, you, your spirit becomes glorified. Earlier when I talked about receiving our glorified body, it's, it's funny because we have an easier time, I think, accepting that as opposed to the fact that our spirit has already become glorified. Now, 
I won't pretend to know everything that that is entailing, but I think it just means it is a more glorious state than where you are now. You know what I mean? Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Man, that's a great verse too, because when you're a believer, you do have the world against you. And this is to encourage you, actually. You know, you may be wondering why that boss or coworker or why that friend is treating you a certain way or just why the person at the grocery store gave you that gave you that side eye and scowled at you or something. Or, or worse, you know, maybe you're you're really going through some real persecution or our brothers and sisters in parts of the world where Christianity is illegal and they're being killed or uh, heavily persecuted in other ways. God is for us. And if he's for us, who can be against us? So what if they're against us? So what if they try to kill us? So what? We're going to be with God. And I know it's easier said like this right now in the comfort of a of a recording studio and things like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, I've, I've made up my mind to just focus on God and know that no matter what someone tries to do to me and with whatever varying degree of success they may have to come against me, uh, I know that God is for me and either he's going to stop it and he's going to lift me up above my enemies or he's going to restore me and vindicate me because of what the enemies did do to me either way. And that's what I believe God for. Verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. God's not the one condemning you. He's not the one bringing a charge against you. See, the world will, phony Christians will, flakes, fakes, and snakes will try to talk all that nonsense and and try to put you down and, and make you feel like you're not really a good Christian. You're not really trying or you're not this or that. And maybe they do it more with how they treat you. Maybe they don't necessarily say those things, but it's how they treat you that makes you feel less than. Well, God is justifying you. You're just before God in the blood of Jesus because of what he has done. And when when people come against you, you're God's elect. God is already on. He's automatically on your side. I heard a minister say that, you know, when you're at a disadvantage because of what somebody has done to you, because of how they have wronged you, the way somebody has wronged you, God is automatically on your side because you're you're innocent and you have done you haven't done the wrong. And he's defending you and he's gonna justify you, he's gonna vindicate you, and you're blessed because God is on your side. Verse thirty four Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died, or you could say it's Christ who died for us, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Again, you have another verse talking about how Jesus is making intercession for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Now, there's a lot in those several verses, but Paul is saying that nothing is going to separate us from the love of God. Praise the Lord. It, no natural circumstance is going to separate you from the love of God. And 
notice here it says we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Don't be confused. You are not a sheep just meant to be slaughtered. Martyrdom is not the ultimate call for God. It is not the, the, the best end result for every Christian just to be martyred for God. If that happens, yes, it's an honor to die for the Lord. But God has a plan for you. You're here for a reason. And that reason is not just to be taken out in some bloody way. All right. You're here for a reason. You're here to do a work for the Lord. God has a mission for you. He has a call on your life. Now we've got to get to it. What would be the point of having a call, having a ministry, this and that, if, if at some point you were just meant to be slaughtered? Now the world sees us like that. Those that hate us see us that way. They count us out. They're just sheep, just slaughter them. That's, that's how a wolf thinks. I've had dreams, prophetic dreams about fighting wolves a lot and uh, different people that have um, been in my life that I know they, they were represented as a wolf in a dream. And it, it really says a lot. It lets you know how they see you, how you need to see them, how you need to go about when, if you're around them to be careful. And that's how unbelievers or even, you know, the flakes, the fakes, the snakes, they, they see you as just a sheep. They they want to devour you. The enemy walks around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. You know, yeah, we're God's sheep, but we're we're warriors. We got armor. We got weapons in the spirit. We're meant to do damage to the kingdom of darkness. We're not just, you know, little cream puffs meant to be devoured by the enemy. Um, that's not what we're called for. Just because the world wants to treat us that way does not mean that we should be pacifists. It does not mean that we should just be a welcome mat for that person who thinks that, oh, you're, you're a nice guy, you're a Christian, I can walk all over you. Uh-uh. Reality check. I'm, I'm not your welcome mat Christian. You better think twice. Because God's on my side. God fights for me. He's going to vindicate me. And God says to give place for his wrath because he will repay yes jesus has paid for the sins of the world but if you have not submitted yourself to him and received that gift of salvation you may be eligible for salvation but if you're out there seeking to harm christians or whatever you're storing up for yourself wrath on the day of vengeance and for the believer or for the person who is not a believer, they will have to explain every time they came against God's children and all the wrong they've done and why they chose to never believe on God. Uh, it makes me thankful to God. I don't have to explain away my past why uh, that I don't have to explain every last little wrong thing I did. Thank God for that. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Verse 37. Yeah, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I think I read that a little bit earlier. <clears throat> so it's saying, you know what? At least this is how I see it. At the end of the day, even if the circumstance or the situation that you're believing God to change or to give you a, an escape from that situation, even if it doesn't change, you can end the day knowing that God loves you. And because he loves you, you can at least emotionally or mentally conquer that in your mind so that way it doesn't take your peace because again we're, we're talking about things that you can't control so you have to cast it on the lord because it's out of your hands well what are the remaining battlegrounds your mind and your heart right 
You need peace in your mind and peace in your heart. And you do that also by remembering he loves you. If all else fails, if you can't do anything else, just at least never lose faith and trust and hope in God's love for you. Keep keep on trusting in the power of his love for you because that's a seed and seeds produce things. Seeds produce trees. So don't give up on, on the love of God for you and, and just believe God that through his love, he's going to make a way. Verse 38, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, or depth, or any other created thing, some some verses, or some translations say creature, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's what I was talking about, folks, was, if nothing else, just remind yourself of the love of Jesus every day. And that nothing will separate you from that love. When you're a believer, nothing is going to separate you from Jesus. Your your past doesn't. Your present circumstances, troubles, or hang-ups don't. And whatever you may be doing in the future, wherever you may find yourself in the future, that's not going to separate you from him either. He's always with you. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. Trust in him. I'm learning to trust him more too every day. Every day is a new opportunity to trust God a little bit more than yesterday and say, okay, God, you were faithful to bring me through yesterday and tomorrow is now today and you proved yourself faithful. So I'm going to trust you even more today to get me through today and bring me to tomorrow. So I hope you enjoyed this installment, these two episodes about casting your cares on the Lord. And I hope it has brought some some revelation, some peace. Uh, at the least, I hope it's brought some food for thought for you to just at least think about uh, a different way of approaching these circumstances in life that are unpleasant, that uh, those seasons in life that just aren't fun. Maybe it's a job uh, like I've experienced, or maybe it's a particular person or whatever it may be, and it's just not comfortable. It's not fun. Maybe it's not very peaceful, but hopefully these these two episodes have helped you get some ammunition so you can learn how to <clears throat> hopefully in the course of these last two episodes you've, you've gotten some ammunition to help you fight for your peace and maintain it better by casting your care on the lord letting him love you encouraging yourself in his love that will never leave you and the fact that jesus intercedes for you and that maybe you've run out of prayer you don't know what else to say about the situation. You've prayed it all. You've said it all. And now it's time to just give it into God's hands and let him work. Because you've you've already exhausted yourself. You've already done what you've had to do. You've already done the right thing. You've already done what you were supposed to do. And now, if the situation persists, it's just time to trust God. When you run out, it's time to trust God. And remember that peace is the reward of surrender. Surrender your heart your circumstances, your situation to God, and let him give you peace. Amen. And remember, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. God bless. Hey, if this has blessed you, feel free to tell me about it by emailing me at freeindeedshow at gmail.com.